0: Welcome to Horse to Culture, a digital salon hosted by the Known World Courtesans, where we bring you conversations with interesting gentles around the world. The Known World Courtesans are a free confederation of reenactors who have chosen a pre-1600 sex worker as our persona, along with our patrons, bodyguards, and entourage that may accompany us. As courtesans, we educate about historical sex workers and stand in solidarity with modern sex workers against sexism, misogyny, whorephobia, homophobia, transphobia, racism, classism, and all other forms of discrimination. You can learn more about our group by visiting knownworldcourtesans.org. Today we have the beautiful Magistra Lucretia Marcella, Shire of Grey Hope, Kingdom of the Middle with us, and we're enjoying the afternoon at my lovely Atria. My name is Lucretia Lepida, but all of my friends call me Lepida, and how are you this afternoon, my friends? I am doing well, enjoying the wonderful gift of spring. Oh, yes, the weather is is getting just to be that perfect temperature where you can really enjoy the outside or... Um, even just the view out your window more. It's very lovely. Um, So what sort of projects do you have in the works right now, Markella? I know you're always working on something fun.
1: Well, I'm working on putting together a Roman book club, uh, starting with a fabulous book. Let me grab it real quick so I get the title correct. (laughs) The Private Lives of the Roman Emperors. Ooh, Fun, salacious, and very, very educating.
0: And that's going to be your first book for the book club? Yes. I'm hoping to get the ball rolling so we start in June. Very nice. Um, is that, if someone wants to join in, where would they go to find out and join up with you?
1: Um, through my Facebook account, which is under Yael Benari, J-A-E-L, J-A-E-L, space, b-e-n space a-r-i. Find me on Facebook, message me, make sure you put in the comments what you're messaging me about, and I will get you in touch. I'm also looking for different groups to share this information with
0: so we can get a bigger following going. Excellent. Um, so I will um, make sure to put a link to your Facebook um, in our show notes so that people can connect with you um, and get into the book club since we still have plenty of time in advance if anyone is looking to join and discuss some interesting Roman books with some um, other Roman enthusiasts. Wonderful. Yes. Anything else?
1: Um, as always, I'm researching new and different jewelry, hair, um, I'm even considering diving into
0: um playing with us, making essential oils. Oh, that's very fun. I I have I have dreams of that. We tried at the salon this year but it didn't work out but we we learned things to try next year. So
1: while well, it's not period I've been offered a lab kit to make like all the little stuff that I really didn't pay attention to in science class. All the glass beakers and all,
0: yeah, yeah, which actually, I was just talking with a woman who studies um historical perfumes, and she was saying that she usually buys modern labware for all of her research because that way she's not worried about breaking it all the time, which is that a, makes a lot of sense yeah, I was like that is a good point because you know you spend a hundred dollars on a beaker because it's a Roman reproduction or something, you're not actually going to want to use it to make anything in, you know?
1: True. I actually own several beautiful pieces,
0: several from (laughs) historical glassworks,
1: that are sitting on a shelf and I have not used appropriately
0: and I feel guilty every time I look at them. Right? But it's also like you're terrified that you're going to break them. Yes, and there's several pieces like, oh, that
1: one came from my laurel. If I broke that, I'd be just destroyed if I broke that one that one came from mom
0: yeah yeah definitely well they start to carry a lot of things with them so you can't you can't just shug that off um I've been working on adding a backlog of research and handouts to my website which is woefully out of date um but I'm but I'm getting there I'm working on it so um excited I'm also um, setting up the announcements for next year's Noble Cortisans Ball, and I've already got people signed up to teach a bunch of dances, so um, it should be really awesome. I'm looking forward to where we're going with that, and just in general, where Noble courtesans is going with our Gulf Force presence. So, um, can't wait for next year. I know it's oh, oh every year I'm just like next year Gulf Force. I get so excited. <laughs> it's like my New Year. I literally like. Plan my whole year around it so um
1: and if things follow through there will be a roman day shade thanks to my laurel who's loaning us her roman day shade so, little presents just for us romans
0: perfect perfect well if i have my act together i will try to make some pasca for you guys to enjoy well all of us to enjoy while we hang out in the roman shade if
1: not I'll bring stuff and we will just have fun making all sorts of delightful
0: things. That sounds fantastic. Also, I have to give a shout out to your hair skills um because I you do such magnificent like historical updos and everything like that. Um you did my hair for for court day um at war this past year and I got so many compliments on my hair all day long.
1: Well, to be honest, your hair is fabulous to work
0: with. Thank you. I'll take that. Um, But still, I work with it all the time and I don't get as many compliments as I did when you did something with it.
1: Well, honestly, it all comes from a lecture I went to, gosh, almost six years ago. Um, Janet Stevens. She is amazing. Check her out on YouTube. She's fascinating. She's an amateur archaeologist who's a hairdresser by trade, wanted to recreate some of the hairstyles and they just weren't working out with modern utensils. And she completely flipped the script when she realized that octus doesn't mean just hair pin, it can mean a sewing needle. And that's how she went from modern day techniques to sewing the hair in place. And that's how we come to modern hair archaeology. She's amazing.
0: That is really amazing. And something that we modernly would definitely never think of. But once you actually think about it, it makes perfect sense. Um, And I've actually been interested in trying some stuff like that with like padding the hair. It's like I have plenty of hair in the first place. But if I also like put wool padding and stuff in there, oh my gosh, I could have some crazy updos. That would be fun.
1: (laughs) Well, maybe we'll have to have a little hair workshop next year at Gulf War.
0: I keep trying to volunteer my hair for hair workshops, but I would, so I would love that. I think that sounds phenomenal.
1: Well, we just need to live closer to each other.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We could do videos. It's true. So, um, are we drinking today? What are we drinking?
1: I am enjoying the libations of
0: the Great Caffeina. I'm enjoying... (gasps) The
1: juice of caffeine (laughs) Coffee.
0: Well, team coffee is always welcome here, and uh, caffeine is one of our our very favorite things. I think everyone in the modern world, and even those in the modern world who try to live in the the historical world, seem to love caffeine. I have actually broken out some alcohol for myself today. Lovely. I have some Angry Orchard hard cider, and I have their special rosé. Their rose is lovely. <coughs> yeah. It's it's made with French red flesh flesh apples. So um it's really tasty. And I love um I love ciders because they're really sweet and delicious. Uh so we have a new patron for our Patreon for the salons, and I want to give a huge thank you to Medusa's Mirror for um stepping up to help support us. Um, we're pursuing a goal of, um, complete sustainability for the podcast. So if you're hearing this and you would like to contribute to that, that would be amazing. And what that means is that it will not be dependent on my, um, not quite starving artist self being able to fit the bill for some of the things with the podcast. The podcast will be self-sustaining. at this point, And I mean, at all future points, I'm happy to fund it as much as I can, but I would like for it to be a little bit more sustainable um, so that it's not necessarily depending on me having good years um, on the makeup selling circuits or the the book selling circuits, which are not reliable. (laughs) So thank you, Medusa's Mirror, for helping uh, bring us towards that goal. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, Marcus Olfson, who has been a longtime supporter of our salons and is just a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous gentle. Um, so thank you um, to both of you and to all of our, our supporters on Patreon. We really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we the encouragement that you offer us, it means so much. Um, it means so much. And it it also is able to keep us going and, and keep us doing these podcasts and actually expanding. Um, we've got a script manager, um, wonderful Sophia, who is on our last episodes, our script manager now. And we also have, um, a marvelous, uh, gentleman named Alistair who is, um, editing our podcast as well. So, um, because of your support, we're being able to expand and that's, just amazing um so thanks for helping me bring my dream to life as well um do you have any patrons that you would like to give a shout out to or
1: i currently have no patrons um so really i just want to shout out to anyone who is willing to inspire another Skadian to step up their game to have fun and enjoy themselves
0: well put, well put, very well put. Uh, I actually was fortunate at war. I gained another patron, uh, Laird of Hextilda Corbett, um, who, if all of our listeners could send some good thoughts and prayers and energy their way, um, they've had a, a car accident um, that is somewhat severe. Um, but also, since war, I've been approached by Lord Rudolph, who, um, is, who has enlisted my services um at the dances next year at Golf War. So I will be at um more of the dances going forward uh with my patron and I'm very much looking forward to digging in more to uh Italian Renaissance dancing and learning more about that. Hopefully I can get him to help me a little bit in the uh downtime between wars. Lovely. <laughs> so yes, that's very exciting. So um Magistra Markella, you have many talents to offer um to any patrons who might be interested, is there anything in particular that you would like to say, you know, if you've been looking for uh, someone to escort you to parties or someone to help you, you know, get ready and look beautiful or someone to help you with your research and your garb creation? Um, I would be open to pretty much all of those. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was kind of trying to think of things that seemed up your alley, but please go ahead. Um, my specialty, um, one of the things I was actually
1: elevated for was my research into period hairstyling and I've expanded beyond Rome, which some people are happy to see. And my longtime nickname has been research monkey. So if you have research they need help with, if I can't find it, I know someone who
0: can. There you go. And that's a useful, useful thing to offer. Um, so Absolutely. If you are interested in getting in touch with uh, Megastron Markella, um, you can talk to her on her Facebook. Uh, so I have some questions. I call them sort of the basic five um, that I like to ask everyone, or at least all of the courtesans, actually, well, at least the courtesans um, that come on to the podcast, um, just so we can get a better understanding of the all the different reasons that people get involved in this beautiful game we have um, and all the different reasons people get involved with normal courtesans. So to start with, um, how did you get started in the SCA? The funny
1: thing is I was living in South Carolina about a thousand miles away from home. And a friend of mine from home called me and said, you'll be moving home about the same time that I have this thing going on. Do you want to teach about anything? and I asked her anything. And so I ran through some of my fascinations from growing up all the way through college. And she's like, oh yeah. So I signed up to teach five classes. (laughs) Well done. I moved home, was wearing one of my lovely burnout velvet goth skirts and a Middle Eastern shirt. Don't ask. I have no idea what I was thinking but it was an attempt, which was the important thing. Yep. Taught five classes and I've kind of
0: been addicted to sharing my knowledge ever since. That's awesome. I love that. that, And that's one of the things when I was young and I started in the society, I was just like, wow, there are people who teach classes on this because I was raised in a really open household, but it was still Nebraska, (laughs) you know? So being able to come out and see that there was a place that was receptive to the things that I wanted to learn was offering things I was interested in learning. And that also, you know, there was that level of, yeah, I was just taking this class last year, but I really loved it. And I've been digging in research wise. And now I'm the one that teaches it like that's really encouraging and amazing. So I love that. That is particularly like that sharing of knowledge is what drew you. Um, So how did you get started as the persona that you have now?
1: Um, really, it all goes back to that Janet Stevens lecture when she was at the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, my brother got me a chance to go and see her and I just loved it. And it fell in line with, I actually minored in classical studies in Latin in college. And I grew up with this fascination in the ancient world. Yeah. So it kind of allowed me to pull all of my loves together and do something new, um, While I have long hair, I never grew up, um, like, I taught myself how to French braid. My mom didn't know how to French braid. So it was this fascination with, I can figure out how to do that, mixed with, I love this. And it just kind of stuck, so I became an ornatrix in the SCA.
0: Which I love, I love that you use the um, period term. Uh, I refer to myself as Cosmataille. And and I'm probably saying it wrong, but um, people are like, what? And I'm like, listen, it's a Roman thing. You would not understand. <laughs> uh, they'll get there eventually. Yeah. I guess it'd be cos- cosmetai? Because it's an E. Yeah. Latin. I'm still learning. Um, A lot of people are like, why don't you learn Welsh? And I'm like, because I want people to care and talk to me. So I'm learning Latin, or at least I'm learning to pronounce Latin, step one. Step two, I want to dig into actually learning how to, like, structure some things into sentences. Um, And then I'll probably be really learning Latin. I'll have to
1: uh, send you a copy of my Latin smack talk class.
0: Hey, if I know anything, I know that if you start the language learning with cursing, I will remember it because... I still, to this day, remember the curse words I learned from the very beginning of the uh, conversational Klingon tapes. And I've never used yes. those. I've <laughs> never used those to talk to anyone ever. And I remember them perfectly. So, yes, please do send your Roman smack talk. Um, I There is a really wonderful Facebook group called Latin for Reenactors. And I sort of lean on them. Yeah. I don't know if you're involved, but I... I have leaned on them a, a few times for things. Um, and it's always really fantastic because they also not, in addition to just giving you your phrase, they will also talk to you about context. And so they were like one person I wanted to say, know how to say hello lovelies, which is a very like courtesani thing to say. Um, yes. And so they gave me a uh, Salway yeah. uh which works, but they're like, oh, it's kind of improper and overly familiar. And this other term might be better and more proper. And I was like, oh no, overly familiar and improper <laughs> is exactly what I'm going for. Thank you. Yes. So like, I, I know both that it is not the most proper way to say it, but also that it conveys exactly what I want it. It's like, it's kind of like, hey, bitches. But yes. the Latin version... <laughs> <laughs> I am all for the lingua cloaca. Yes.
1: The lingua cloaca is the gutter language. (laughs) It's Catullus versus Cicero. It's familiar and real and alive.
0: Yes. And Catullus, uh, we have had more than one Catullus poem on uh, Courtesan Theater here on the Salon because I just... I love his poetry. Um, obviously, the sexy, naughty, um, gutter ones I love the most. But even his poetry about, like, the loss of his, I think it's his brother, um, but and, like, his more pastoral poetry about feelings, that stuff is also really beautiful. So I'm just a huge fan.
1: He is the original dirty-minded emo.
0: <laughs> oh, my God, that's so true. That's so true. That's... Yeah, he's like, so modernly, I love Morrissey. And he reminds me of a dirtier, straighter Morrissey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. Some of his poems tend to lean. That's true. That's very true. But Morrissey is definitely all the way gay. And Catullus is, well, it's hard to put a, a real exact modern label on it because his sexuality wasn't defined for him or anyone at the time he lived. By our current ways of understanding sexuality, so yes, yeah, when you get back to like pre well pre victorian i think I feel like the gender roles really change in ways that we don't understand without a lot of thought,
1: and he wasn't a time pre judeo christian normative, yes. So- The world was a much different place, and we can't really judge it by modern
0: standards. Oh, yeah, because back then, mercy meant killing someone now. That's what mercy was. Like, when you said mercy, they're like, okay, and they would kill you. (laughs) Because that was not prolonging your humiliation. And there was no word for please in Latin. Yes. Literally, if you wanted something, you would say, Ambo te, I would love you if you do this. (laughs) That's so Roman. (laughs) I know. I love it. <laughs> I, that's so I love how language can be so telling of psychology and culture, even when so little of those things survive anywhere else. It's beautiful. And and part of why if you're delving into anything and you want to really understand it, you should at least branch out into everything touching on because you'll understand the thing you're studying so much better if you understand everything adjacent Oh, yes. And Roman is such a transactional society. Yes, yes. I I, th- I find it very charming in a way. Um, but I, I think a lot of people would probably find it very cold. Uh, but it's it's definitely a very interesting thing to dig into because we we are so very much like the Romans in so many ways. And some of them we don't even understand because we don't understand what Romans are saying. And we think they're saying different things but actually they feel very similarly to us about many many things um and then you come across something that's completely alien and you're like say what now what <laughs> yes yeah what no um so what is oh, oh please go on sometimes i feel like that talking to my nephew <laughs> <laughs> yeah that generational gap only much bigger <laughs> much much bigger it's like a cultural gap uh so what inspired you to choose a sex worker persona? Um there is such
1: a beautiful wealth of history in Rome and if we ignore the fact that not only were the matrices and prostubile um a part of culture, they were a an accepted part of culture, we lose out on a lot of what Rome was. Um in Rome you paid your tax, you worked, And you could be in any social strata up until the late empire and could still work as a courtesan and be respected as long as you paid your taxes. And by
0: courtesan, you mean sex worker. Just to be clear. Yeah. Just to be clear so everyone who's listening knows what we mean.
1: As a sex worker, it was not always by choice and it was not always glamorous. Um, The slave class, most of them were basically press ganged into working as sex workers um if you were a freed person a citizen or even a member of the senatorial class you had a choice yeah those who were owned did not yeah so there is that very stark um differentiation there
0: Right, because not only would your owners, as a slave, would your owners perceive you as an object that they could use however they needed, you could hold a dish or you could have sex with them if that's what they ordered you to do and that's what they wanted you to do, but also um, if they wanted to make money, they could take you to a brothel or they could open a brothel and be like, all right, you're a prostitute now, go to work. And that was, it, it was the same as if they took you to a field of crops and were like, okay, you're harvesting this now go to work. Like that's, that's what your job is. You're a slave. So that is absolutely an aspect of, of sex work in Rome. That is something that when we recreate it, we recreate it in the best possible way because we only recreate the, the good things from history.
1: Yes. And if you start to look at that and draw parallels to modern, that's where you get the um human trafficking. Yes. And, um I think in a lot of ways we do a disservice to those that are trafficked by saying they're trafficked not they're sex slaves because they do not have a choice.
0: Yes, and I would I would agree, but I think and I think that that's a really interesting parallel to draw because um we focus in on the sexual aspects, but the reality is that trafficking is mostly about forced labor of which sex work is only one type of forced labor. Right. And and so there are, and actually on our human trafficking episode, we talked about this. We still have plenty of people that are effectively slaves, even still in the United States. Um, they work in restaurants, they mow lawns, they do a lot of jobs that are basically invisible to us. And one of them is being a sex worker. Um, so, and, and I think you're absolutely right that we do a disservice to put, um, words on it that are more comfortable for us to deal with than slavery. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, we like to call it trafficking or whatever, because calling these people slaves, it, it's, it's upsetting to know that we have slaves in our midst because we're so about being the land of the free and all these things. Um, we have enough trouble dealing with our own legacy of slavery in, you know, ignoring the fact that we still have slaves in our country, more or less. Um, not more or less. They, I mean, they are people who are forced to labor yes. are yes. slaves. Um, volunteer laborers. No, no. Uh, so I, I agree with you completely that it does a disservice to anyone who's forced to work in any kind of job that they're not willing to do. Um, and, uh, and I think then as, as people who, um, are advocating for voluntary sex workers, and consenting sex workers. Nowadays, we also owe it to modern sex workers to separate out the fact that non-consenting sex workers are in a very different situation, and advocating very for awesome. them, and advocating for them, um, in a different way than we're advocating for consensual and consenting sex workers. Um, so, so just the rich sort of sexual history and the knowledge of how important um, sex workers were, and, and specifically, well, you know, you can, I feel like in Rome, you can't even say specifically sort of the rockstar courtesan types, because there are so many things that what we would consider to be very like low class sex workers, um, walking sex workers or brothel prostitutes. There are so many ways that they influence the culture as well. Very much so.
1: I mean, Everyone thinks that the fasciniae are mainly seen outside Lupinaria, the brothels. When you realize that they're all over the place, but without the brothels being marked with fasciniae, would we have realized the cultural significance? Yeah. Very true. I mean, just small details can change the facet of how you view an entire culture, um... For example, when Janet Stevens realized that in Latin the same word for hairpin was the same word for sewing needle. Yeah. That small minute detail can change our perspective on history completely.
0: Yeah, it's true. It is it um the thing that comes to mind from my own research is is cold cream, which is something that's yes. been, been around since the 2nd century. Um, and I tried so many times to get the recipe to work using um, science, using the science I know about how to create emulsions and things like that, because it's an emulsion. Um, but ultimately, the thing that worked was to put it all in a pot, like to follow the instructions, put it all in a pot, and just let it all come together. So that that paying attention and going back to um, not the basics, but going back to the primary sources and back to um, the original evidence that we have can teach us so much. So tell us more about your courtesan persona. What is, what is their story? So it's not really that fleshed out.
1: Um, Predominantly I'm focusing on women were allowed to, if they were citizens or equus or um, hires like the senatorial class, they could choose to keep their dowry And basically become a woman of their own means. And they could choose a career such as some women went into philosophy like, oh, I cannot remember her name.
0: Egypt. Hypatia? Hypatia, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Took me a second too, but I was there. I,
1: I gotcha. She chose to be a scholar. Um, other women chose to start careers owning their own taverna, their own little. Rome had these little corner shops that are basically fast food counters. They could own one of those. They could own property on their own. They could. Yeah, they. Hair stylists. I mean, it gave them an option without having to marry. Yeah. And it was also an option gone to by many widowed women. Okay. Um, If they were married at a young age and they didn't want to go through that again and their husband died in the wars or of old age, which wasn't uncommon. Yeah. And they didn't want to remarry. They could keep their status and go into a career. And I think that's an aspect of history that needs to be represented also it gives me a chance to play with the hairstyling a bit.
0: Yeah. Well, and I like I like, um, as a business owner, um, myself, who's someone who's always been self-employed, um, I love finding other entrepreneurial women in history. And they're absolutely there. Um the idea that like we were all sort of raised with the idea that women never worked in public before World War II is just absolutely laughable if you start to dig into to real history.
1: One name, Caterina Sforza.
0: Oh god. We should just we should just have like a minute on every in every salon where we're like Caterina Sforza. Oh yes, we all love Caterina Sforza because I think bask in her awesomeness. Yeah, I think she's kind of central to a lot of our inspiration um and I, she's almost like the fierceness. Yeah, and she's almost like the gateway drug because she's, you know, she's in Assassin's Creed. I think. Oh, really? Yes. One of them. Whichever is the history game where they jump back and forth through different time periods in history. There's one in Renaissance Italy, and she's in it, um, and she does the thing the the alleged thing where she she flips her skirts and she says, "Kill my children. I have the instruments to make more." Oh just that phrase alone i know it's beautiful i love it (laughs) and it sounds very heartless but again at the same time the men knew
1: had no clue what to do with her and
0: her son (laughs) lived (laughs) yes and and i think also it's very calculating if you take a step back and you think about her context when she says that like she's not just like in a bar like hey kill my kids i don't give a fuck like Her son is being held captive. She is on the ramparts of her, her castle, her holdings, fighting for the last vestige of her power. If her son lives and she doesn't have any power, what does she have to give him? Nothing. So she says that it's like, it's like when you're like, there's a hostage situation. You're like, nah, I don't care about that girl. You go ahead and kill her. That's smart. (laughs) It's not callous. It's smart strategy. So yes, but yeah, Katarina's Sporza inspires so, so many of us. Um, absolutely. So what is your dream in the SCA? What, what really, why do you play like with that magic thing? For me, it's
1: getting to share knowledge with like-minded people who want to learn. And it's getting to see people explore history in a way that the school system
0: doesn't allow. Yeah. Or at least doesn't encourage.
1: Well, I'm pretty sure if I sat in class making perfume using vodka, I'd have gotten in trouble.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty... They frown on that. So one of the... Well... The main reason we had you here today is because you're fantastic, but we also had you here because we know that you can talk to us about Roman garb and help us, um, kind of dig into not just, um, basics, not just your basic toss on a sheet kind of thing, but a little bit of more understanding of it for anyone who might be interested in getting started with Roman garb or just wants to make some for the summer months, because as we're heading into the summer, I totally advocate as someone in the land of the, um, ever, ever present sun and Trimeris I fully advocate that you switch to garb that you can be comfortable and happy in. Um, so let's talk about Roman garb.
1: All right. So Roman garb, first thing I'm going to say is make sure you're comfortable. There is no right way or wrong way to do Roman. You have my permission as a Laurel to go with whatever fabric you want, as long as it works for you. Because you're making an attempt. That's all that we ask. Um, Let's see. So my focus is primarily on Imperial Rome. Okay. But the outfit really doesn't change from the beginning of probably pre-Trojan War Greece. And follows through until around the 400s. Okay. Now there's a slight curve. Um it gets more complex as you're leading up through the Republic era to the beginning of the Imperial era, and then begins to become more simplified as Christianity gains influence in Italy.
0: Okay. Um, And so the main garment that you're talking about is the um, tunica, muliebris and the stola for women. Yes. Okay. Um, The tunica is,
1: um, the undergarment that can be worn as the only garment in some cases, um, the tunica, um, there's two different styles that I've seen that are widely worn in the SCA. One is basically a T-tunic that you cut along the top seam of the shoulders and pin it at increments to create the neck seam and then connectors in between the sleeve for the sleeves. So you have the nice little cutouts on the sleeves.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you can do that with a solid sleeve though. That's another way to do it, especially if you want to wear it in the winter. Okay. Um, that piece, you can do it as a tea tunic or just simply lay two rectangles. Now the measurements are going to be important. There are no specific measurements. You go by person. I tend to do the width of the fabric, so selvage to selvage, as the sides. Okay. And then my height is whatever, oh, sorry, my length <laughs> is whatever I want lengthwise. So I start at my shoulders, and usually I go to the ground, which is what's a pro- appropriate for a patrician. Okay. And you can do whatever length men us- usually wore about knee length. So, yes, you can wear this outfit as a man, too but um some women like to wear them a little bit shorter do whatever's comfortable for you if you want to do the mini skirt because it's hot as Hades wherever you're at do the mini skirt
0: well and the romans didn't suffer i mean like they did but they they adjusted their clothing when they went to different places oh. um it it wasn't like a, a like a uniform i mean to to a certain extent it was Which we're going to get into the cultural meanings of the different garb and things like that um, and what they signify. It was
1: environmental and fabric choice.
0: Yeah. But they they did adjust. Like, you know, they may be making something out of wool in Rome, but when they go to Africa, they probably aren't still making that out of wool.
1: Lightweight linen or possibly cotton in Northern Africa.
0: Yeah. And because cotton is available there, and also they're not dumb. I mean, the, the, the Roman Empire I Learned d- from the Egyptians Yeah, the Roman Empire wasn't founded on people, like, not acquiring new knowledge or not being open to flex and, and flexible enough to uh, to work to their advantage We're the Borg of the ancient world I love that description It seems very apt I showed my little geekdom there but <laughs> I
1: grew up at sci-fi cons so I have an excuse for being strange
0: you don't ever need an excuse for being strange in the SCA, but that's just, that's just us. So, um, and the stole but the stola wasn't something men wore. The stola was specifically just for women.
1: Specifically for women. Men, if they wanted extra warmth, they would either wear a second tunica. Okay. Or sometimes a third or fourth or a capelet, very similar to a short pala or an actual toga but the toga was reserved
0: for special occasions which we'll get into later. Okay. Uh so the um so it would be normal for me as a person in Rome to be able to look around and tell the social class of people by their clothing or would it be by fabric choice and ornamentation? A little of everything. Um if you're just wearing a tunica
1: you were either a slave or a freed person most likely. Okay. Now, freed person or up could wear the stola. Matrons and citizens were allowed to wear the pala. Okay. And then ornamentation was the thing. Conspicuous consumption was the way of Rome. They didn't have sports cars, so men decked out their wives.
0: Okay. Sound familiar, anybody? Anybody? <laughs> the- yeah, the conspicuous consumption is a thing. I mean, it recurs whenever you have fabulously wealthy people in any time period. But I think it's just so it's so much and so much reminds me of modern America and and specifically how it's not just a certain group of people like in, in the high Middle Ages in Europe, there were only some people who were like, I'm going to live in a shiny white castle. You know what I mean? But Modern Americans and Romans are like, no, we're all entitled to nice things. Um, so you have just a, plurif- a proliferation of um, a sort of like dupe industry that like exists to like there's the luxury industry and then there's the like near luxury industry where they've got like, listen, we can paint those columns to look like porphyry, you know, and they or to look like fancy marble. Um, and that's a whole part of the Roman economy in the Roman world was um catering to the needs of like the aspirant wealthy, um, which we totally have in America. But I think in a lot of time like periods. Knock in knockoff his- purses.
1: Yes. Like knockoff purses where you have a Prado instead of a Prada.
0: Yes. Or like um, my my ex-husband used to build houses and they would get columns and they'd just be like hollow, extra thick cardboard columns that would be painted to look like marble on the outside um and they They have no real purpose but they look right they look right they look so fancy um and and that sort of thing like the mcmansions mcmansions are a great example of that phenomena um we're all entitled to a castle damn it we don't have to wait um we don't have to give that only to the the certain group of people that's for all of us how did the culture of rome influence the garb or influence the clothing that they wore
1: um at the beginning of Rome, so we're talking from the founding, so time period of Romulus and Remus through the rape of the Sabine, through, I know that's a terrible phrase, the incorporation of Sabine women through force. How about that?
0: I, I like rape since it is through force.
1: <laughs> it's honest. <laughs> but that early time period before their expansion into Latinum and Vei, um, it would probably, they most of the women would wear, at most, a tunica, possibly with a stola. And they wouldn't be overly glamorized. Okay. The warrior-priest mentality, the farmer-priest of early Rome, as you're leading through the time of the kings. And then, once the Republic started up and the wealth expanded exponentially and Rome grew rapidly... People started to really show off and wear more layers because if you're wearing more cloth, then obviously you can afford it, right? Right. And that's where you get the opulent jewelry and layers of luxurious fabric and the introduction of silk. Thank you, Alexander the Great.
0: Yes. And we should remember that silk in the Western world goes all the way back that far. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of people go, Well, you're
1: wearing silk. Romans didn't wear silk. I'm like, Oh, yes. Yes, they did. <laughs> Fight me. Oh, I've had these arguments with Laurels, and then the look on their faces when I go, I'm making an effort. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important thing. Is yes. When you can't get through to that person, just say, I'm making an effort.
0: Yeah. Or just smile and nod and say, Thank you for your concern. <laughs> Or if you like Spanish, say "El porro sabe más que
1: tú." <laughs> I hope he knows more than you. <laughs> and hope they don't speak
0: Spanish too. Uh, if you do just make sure you have good sandals on to run. <laughs> <laughs> good advice. So, uh, and so it's it's the expansion of wealth, the expansion of the culture, the ability to have more luxury goods imported from other places, um, and then how how does the how does the empire, the transition to empire, and then the later empire affect that?
1: Well, the beginning of the empire is where you begin to have, um, you have people like Augustus who starts legislating morality more. And you have Septimus Severus who says uh, patrician women can't be um, matrices or courtesans anymore you have this legislation of morality as Christianity gains influence. And that leads to the hair veils coming back into fashion, less jewelry and tunica at least, stola at most, the pala went to the wayside.
0: Okay. I I and the the image I always have when I think of late period Roman are the um the Phantom Mummy paintings.
1: Yes, Fayum is my favorite. Fayum, not Fantum.
0: There is a
1: lovely website. Their archaeological group has a website that I go to for a lot of my jewelry inspiration.
0: Okay. And
1: a lot of my uh, clothing color inspiration, because the idea that everyone wore pure white in Rome—no, it was all oh yeah the colors and the brighter the colors the more money you had because it was the beginning of the dye bath if you was like your slaves you gave them colored even if it was just pastel
0: yeah if you didn't like your slaves they got natural color <laughs> well and and decking out your slaves was another way to show off how wealthy you were and like things yes. things that we think of as like oh it would be really nice and humane for me to teach my slaves how to read that would be a thing you would do to show off how wealthy you were like i'm so wealthy my slaves know how to add like, that yes. would be a bragging point for you. Like, I waste money on teaching slave stuff. Um, not to say that there weren't slaves who were actually employed for their intellect and their knowledge, because there were. There were, like... Yes.
1: Especially tutors.
0: Yes. Oh, yes, that's a really good example. Because mo- you wouldn't go to any... There was not any kind of public schooling at all available. But if you were rich, you would you would educate your children, um, obviously, because you didn't want them to be idiots. Um <laughs>
1: And if you were really rich, you would have your children, both male and female educated, plus the house servants.
0: Yes, yes. And that way your house servants could help your children with their schoolwork and with their studies. Um, And so that was sort of like... You know, if you if you had an employee and you, you send them to a conference to get a better certification, whatever they're doing, it would be sort of like that. Like, I'm going to upgrade my servants by teaching them how to read so they can help Jimmy with his rhetoric. Yes. Lucius with his rhetoric. Sorry, Jimmy. would Jimmy's a horrible name in that example. No worries. Trust me. I have come up with some weird examples in classes. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure.
1: Tonight on Courtesan Theatre. <music>
0: Korean writer M.G. wrote this poem for the courtesan Hanu, which was a pen name meaning chilly showers, sometime between 1549 and 1587. The northern sky seemed clear,
1: so I set off without a cloak. The snow had appeared on the mountains, cold rain filled
0: the field. Today I met with chilly showers. Shall I freeze in bed tonight? Hanu responded with... What's all this talk of freezing? Why should you be tonight? With a duck
1: bordered pillow and a kingfisher quilt, how can you freeze tonight? Today
0: you have met your child. Will you melt in bed? Thus and she was invited to join her. to win that. kind of the culture and how it changed with the time period. Um, and I, I really love, oh, one thing I wanted to say about the Fayum portraits before we move on, um, you, listeners, you may have seen them before because they're, um, an amazing example of, of really vivid ancient art that still survives. Um, they were made with pigments in wax in a, in a really amazing, um, form of painting with with melted wax and they were done on wood and they were sort of portraits of the person alive and at their healthiest um and they're incredibly realistic and it's 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 almost jarring um one of the first times I came into a lot of contact with Roman society outside of just kind of okay, we talked about it in theater history kind of thing, just glossing over as another time period, was in uh, a Greek and Roman art class that I took. And when you go through all these very stylized periods of art, and then you get to the Fayou mummy portraits, it's jarring it's for for the first time you feel like you're really looking at people and it, they're beautiful. Their eyes, they're so expressive and they're so vivid and vibrant. If, if you, if you ever feel like history is not as alive as now, I feel like the Fayum mummy portraits are just a, a slap in the face to that entire idea because they're so, they, they're so real. They, you know, they look, yeah, yeah and i think the hauntingness of them comes from the fact that we can actually connect with them even though we know that this is a person who's been dead for centuries we can still look at them and be like wow i could date that boy like these are really realistic well done paintings um you you and you really get a feeling for for the people in their vibrancy so it's it, they're uh, worth looking at they're beautiful um. So okay, we talked about culture. We talked about time periods and how those things to sort of reflect. What are some common misconceptions about Roman garb?
1: Um, within the SCA, I think the most common misconception is it's bad form to use tablecloths or sheets. And honest, my favorite um underdress is a bedsheet. <laughs> Fair. It's what's comfortable. What's affordable. And, again, it's about making the effort to do something. Yes. Um, Another misconception is Romans only wore wool or only wore cotton. Linen was widely used. Wool, unless you live in the frozen north like myself and are doing Roman in the winter, you want to go with a wool gauze. Um, Unfortunately, it's really expensive. Um, I use silk. Okay, cotton I like my natural fibers but I do have more than a few outfits that may not be period accurate materials but guess what I'm making the effort
0: yeah well and um there are some fibers that are not period but they are still natural fibers like rayon oh, yes. a lot of people yeah a lot of people think of rayon as being like polyester but polyester is plastic and rayon is made out of like birch or something so it's it's a yes. very it's a very different fiber um and the difference is breathability um and that's the one thing that you can absolutely make any garb you want from anything you want but if you're making something for the summer to be cool keep that polyester count low like it can be any other fiber you want but plastic fibers will not cool you off definitely go with something that will wick.
1: I like linen for those reasons, because if you, even if you're doing it for just an outdoor event in the summer, alone, you're going to want something that wicks because it can be miserably humid. Yeah. If you live in the Southeast, it's just as bad, if not worse. Because that humidity just does not go away in the
0: Southeast. Oh, no. Let me tell you, here, surrounded by our beautiful three seas in shrai um, it's it's a little bit overwhelming sometimes <laughs> all of the humidity. <laughs> so yeah. that And, and so, you know, when people are like linen, 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 it's not just about um, being period accurate. It's a little bit about comfort, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean linen. It just means to stay away from plastic fibers. Also plastic fibers are a fire risk if you're going to be around open flame. Yes. Yes. Uh, so one thing that i would say is a misconception is that all romans wore togas
1: yes um women um there were only two social classes of women that wore togas one was a middle class a citizen but um a known rather it was an infamy thing um a woman who was a sex worker But also didn't pay her taxes. It was like a shunning thing. Okay. And an adulteress. A woman who got caught. (laughs) Yeah. She would be forced to wear a toga. Those were the only two females, types of females, that wore a toga. Now, in the SCA, I'm sure you could do a gender bender and...
0: Right. Absolutely. ...wearing a
1: toga. Absolutely. But in classical society it was a little different
0: yeah um, and yeah i was going to say not even all men wore the toga um sit
1: only citizens and typically only for religious festivals or really important situations unless they held a public office
0: so it was sort of like the business suit of rome very much so it was your tux with tails okay so above a level above just a business suit Um, and and something that very much would be um, the sort of place you visually in with very rich people, very important people, sort of the movers and shakers and things like that.
1: Yep. And your status was typically noted by a band of color. Like purples were typically worn only by members of the imperial family. Reds remembers the senatorial and it there's a laundry list.
0: Yeah. And and then so the brightness and the width of that band and the color was a visual yes. note of how of how important you were and how wealthy you were. And
1: also the toga virilis, which is the main toga we're thinking about, what had to be undeniably white. It had to be the purest white you could get. So they would actually um, launder their uh, toga in distilled urine for the ammonia.
0: And for the bleaching action. Yes. All right. Well, in that they, they collected urine, I know, and you could sell your urine um, to you
1: could sell your urine or sometimes laundresses would have a bucket outside and say, "Hey, I'll give you this if you do that."
0: Yep. And I know that there were taberna who would have like a piss pot and then they would collect and they would collect it and they would sell it. So if you're drinking in the taberna, they're also making money off of all the alcohol you pee out. Yes. And that's and, and recycling. Oh uh, yeah. That's, that's recycling. And it's also, that's, um, that's frugal. That's real frugality right there. <laughs> um, so where's a good place to start for inspiration? Roman garb? Like if you just kind of want to get an idea of what what pretty outfit you're going to make for yourself.
1: My first suggestion is look at statues, how the outfits fall. Uh, Go online and look at different reenactors that you happen to know that do Roman. Look at, I know I'm going to hear some collective eye rolling here, but look at the neoclassical paintings from the Renaissance. And up through Regency era.
0: Yeah. And it'll give you an idea. Right. And the thing about those paintings is that those paintings present us with these historical looks, but they are showing it to us in a modern way. Um, Because classical painting is very stylized. So it's really hard to get an idea of what you're looking at. Like the statues are very naturalistic, but the paintings are not necessarily. So, you know, you don't necessarily get a good idea of what the clothing actually looked like from the paintings of that are contemporary, but those neoclassical paintings are made by later people who are fascinated with the Romans. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. That's going to be colored by their own sort of ideas, but it still gives you an actual like modern sort of look at what those people would have looked like wearing those garments. So I don't, I don't think that's the worst advice. Like that I've been super inspired by some today of my paintings. I'm not going (laughs) to lie.
1: Some of my favorite resources are actually museums, the Museum of Naples, the Met and the Art Institute of Chicago all have um, 3D scans of some of their sculptures. So you can see the statue in three dimensions.
0: Oh, that sounds like it would be really helpful. That's amazing. That's
1: given me ideas on how to, some of the dress patterns you kind of weigh down a little bit so they lay right. So it's given me ideas on how to weigh them down. Okay. It's given me ideas on different ways to cut the fabric. It's just fascinating.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I expect with that, you'd be able to kind of trace out the different layers of the fabric Um. And yes. figure out which which what's going where, what's attached. to you know what? Um, I think another thing that would be useful to look at um, is to make sure to find some of the research they're doing on the painted statues, because most of the statues we see and we think are white are actually um, just white now, and in history they would have been painted and, and looked colors. Right? Oh, like, honestly, garish colors. Like, let's not play. Yes. <laughs> Our ideas about things matching and coordinating and going together are clearly modern.
1: Oh, if you see me at any ward or at any event, I wear some of the most garish colors together that you would not catch me dead in outside of the SCA.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of love that part about accumulating my Roman stuff, as I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'll put it on my Roman. It's fine.
1: <laughs> I have a stack of fabrics that... Continue, but in a less period accurate way, the insanity. Um, My current Penzik project is I am making a new tunica. It's this beautiful lavender fabric with a black kangaroo on it, so I can be a kangaroo man. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. (laughs) It will be an accurately hand-sewn tunica.
0: (laughs) See, that's fun. That's fun. That's the fun we have. (laughs) I
1: love it. Um, Anyone who knows me knows I have to do something that's not normal. Being too serious isn't the way to be.
0: I think that's good advice. I mean, we can all take ourselves a little bit too seriously sometimes. So it never hurts to to take a breath, take a laugh, and step back. Um, So, oh, go ahead, please. Even
1: at my own elevation, I was completely accurate skin out for my elevation. And I had made a new necklace on one side. It was numbers surrounded by laurel leaves, which was completely accurate for being elevated to the order of the laurel. After the elevation, I switched it around. It was a brothel coin necklace.
0: I love that necklace. I have seen it and I love it so very, very, very much.
1: There will be more available at Penzik. The four that were made at Gulf War sold and I
0: couldn't be happier. Awesome. So do you make the brothel coin necklaces or does the gent who makes the brothel coins make them? The gent who makes the brothel coins
1: gives me drilled coins. Okay. And I make the necklaces. Okay. Same effort, And we have so much fun.
0: That's awesome. I love that. And he is just such a doll. Um, he is. I don't know his I name. I believe he is uh, Greg. From okay. Medallions. All right. I, I was like, he's the guy from Medieval Medallions with the brothel coins. <laughs> but apparently his one name of, is Greg.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Um, I believe he's one of Nata's
1: patrons. Mm.
0: Well done, Nata. That. Well done, Nata. Um, his wife is another courtesan. That's amazing. Keeping it in the family. I love it. Uh, so where should we go for patterns if we want to start um, making Roman clothes?
1: As long as no one makes fun of my horrible drawing skills, I'm going to send you copies of my little diagrams I've done up.
0: Oh, awesome. So we will have those in our show notes.
1: And anyone who wants to contact me for clarification or questions, I love answering questions. I love being able to share any bit of knowledge that I may have.
0: Um, And is the best way to do that still Facebook or email? What's your preference? Uh, Facebook, I'm most likely to get quicker. (laughs) That's fair. We'll life put your Facebook. Crazy. Yeah, no, life is crazy. And, and it's, um I, as someone now who's accumulated people um, from my classes on my Facebook, it's so easy to just be like, they'll be like, what kind of mortar and pestle do I need? And i will be like a non-porous one. And then we all go back about our day and it's fine. Versus like, I got a chicken in my email. I got to look, the, it's, it's much faster. Just do a little Facebook message. So I totally understand. Um, a lot So one thing I took, I took a Roman garb class, um, from a a Laurel here in Trimeris. And one thing she was talking about.
1: I cannot remember her name. Dulcia. Dulcia. Thank you. She is divine. I love her.
0: She's amazing. Did you see her project? Did you know she took first? I did. Cause I mean, she's from Trimeris. So they announced it in court, but did you, did you see? It was amazing. Oh my gosh. I felt so insecure in my knowledge. (laughs) No, no, no. That
1: she, Uh, she is so generous with her knowledge and excitement about it. And yes, I could bow at the feet of the master and spend days learning from
0: her. I, I really love her. And I'm, I love that. I, I can just roll up at an event and be like, Hey, Hey. And during hugs sometimes we'll be like, so I've been thinking about this wool thing and it will just like, talk about little random bits of roman philosophy or whatever it's very fun but one thing she mentioned in her garb class um was that they were not actually using pieces of fabric that they cut and assembled the way we're used to thinking about clothes at all they were weaving it actually just wrap well and they
1: would weave it
0: to size and then they would wrap it right so technically if you're piecing this together from pre-made cloth it's not 100% 100% period accurate. So at that point, and I think that's a really, a really important thing to remind ourselves, um, especially people like me who can really get into that hole as authentic as possible trap. Um, for Roman Garb, especially if you're making that original compromise, then why not have it also be comfortable?
1: Exactly. And I have this wonderful six foot rule. If it looks right from six feet away, Wonderful. If they're so close that they can tell that you didn't do it 100% accurate, they're buying you dinner. (laughs) They better be. And that's the point that even if you don't eat beef, you order the really expensive steak. Right. To your dog.
0: (laughs) I think that depends on if they're nice or not. (laughs) Good point. Sometimes they're nice. That happens uh so we talked a little bit about fabric but are so you're specifically recommending linen cotton and silk as sort of the go-to if you're not specific and wool um and try to get a thinner wool if you're not specifically dressing for warm
1: tropical weight wool works really nice okay but it is a little cost prohibitive
0: okay that it, it it's 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 one of those things, it's like, it's cost prohibitive for us because no one wears that anymore. But in the Roman world, that would have been a really common way to weave wool. Because, I mean, it's it's Italy, guys. It's not, like, cold. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if
1: you were in Britannia, you would probably be okay with a thicker wool. Or even
0: if you're up in Gaul. Right. But you could tell by how the statues and how the fabric drapes. That it's not wool the way we're used to thinking about wool.
1: Oh, yes. Wool, the way we think of it, is this dense, it doesn't have any drape to it. What they have is this finely woven, draping, just indulgent, like, butter wool.
0: Yeah. And that, if you want it in the modern world, is going to cost you. <laughs>
1: It's going to cost you or you know someone who weaves fabric. Great. You better be willing to pay for the skill.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's not Um, that was someone was casually asking uh, one of the ladies who makes garb and spins in my home shire. Oh, are you going to make a shirt out of that? And she was like, no, there are miles and miles of thread inside a shirt <laughs> that is so impractical. You literally don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> not that, you know, exactly. ask whatever you want, but sometimes just the labor cost of fabric is something we just really are, are used to overlooking.
1: Um, oh, yes, because everything's machine done.
0: Yes. Well, and, like, we do wear garments that are woven to shape. Like, a lot of T-shirts now are woven to shape. Yes. If they don't have seams on the sides, then they've been woven to shape. But we're not used to... We weave to shape for mass production, whereas Romans wove to shape for custom fit, So it's a very yes. different kind of process as well. Um, and, that, and that is precisely because of the preciousness of the fiber. Like they weren't, they wouldn't pre-manufacture a bunch of things for different sizes because those would be that a lot of them would have wasted fabric.
1: And Romans were not about waste. They were extremely frugal when it came to material. They sold their pee. Exactly.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, no. and, and well,
1: Maybe about conspicuous consumption, they weren't wasteful.
0: No, not at all. I, I think that's a, a really interesting thing um, about digging into um, the Roman culture and how some of the lower, like, because obviously if you're a rich patrician, sure, your household might gather your urine and, and sell it, you know, because you're good Romans and you're frugal but you would not know a damn thing about it. Like it would just happen. Your slaves would make it happen and you would never know. But if you were like a middle-class Roman or a, a poorer Roman, you would be very aware. You're like, no piss in that piss pot. Cause I'm going to take it out tomorrow and get us our, our money for it. Um, and that was like a part of your life. And, and so a lot of things and that it
1: could be the difference
0: between eating that day
1: or and not
0: to a certain extent. I mean, they had free bread and I, I really like to always bring this up about Rome is that they had, public like publicly mandated food for all citizens
1: but it would also in some cases where you have the freed person or the um the freedman or a citizen of lower means that they would sell that to pay for something and
0: yeah they'd go hungry for a day or i mean the well free <sighs> bread is a Yes, it's huge. And and free bread isn't everything you need in life, which is a thing that is exhibited by people who receive food stamps in a modern context. You still need other things. Yes. And like every time you go to a food bank, um, do they not say, hey, we'll also take hygiene products, things like that. Yes. Because those things are all required and, um, and they're not accessible. And if all you get is food stamps, then you are left with you may be able to feed yourself, but there are lots of other things in life. Um, yes. So in that way, like it would, for Romans, you would be entitled to your specific dole of grain, but you might sell it because you need other things. You have other priorities or, you know, there's an emergency. So there's all kinds of things that could happen with that.
1: And in some places you may get your grain, but you couldn't get it baked because that costs money. Yes or you would have it baked but then they would give you something much smaller saying oh this is your bread because you didn't stamp it
0: yes and most lower class romans did not have any means of cooking inside their own homes which is another thing go to a public baker yes which is another thing so yes the steak gives you free grain but that doesn't give you a place to grind it and turn it into flour and then bake that flour into bread um but, yeah, the distinction between the haves and have-nots is really interesting and also um, fascinating to me in that they have cultural markers, um, you know, for those things. The The one that comes to mind most clearly is is the idea that slaves actually lack a certain part of their soul. Um, even if you were born with it, If when you became a slave, it, like, fled from your body and you no longer had it. And so slaves were still people. They were still full people like everyone else, but they lacked a certain part of their divine substance that made them capable of making their own decisions. And and it's actually a thing that patrician men, especially talk about not infrequently how nice it must be to be a slave because they don't have to make big decisions and like hold other people's lives in their hands. And they don't have to like, figure out what's going on with their life or what the meaning of life is because they just get up and they do their work.
1: Wow. It kind of sounds like uh, the Congress, but anyway.
0: Yeah. Right. That's that whole we're so alike to them in ways. Sometimes we don't even see because the changes in culture keep us from seeing that our attitudes are shockingly similar. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Although at least in Rome, any patrician could flag down or any, uh, any pleb could flag down any patrician according to the law and demand that laws be explained to them accurately by the patricians. Yes. It was a responsibility. Now, if we could do
1: that in modern context, I would love to hear some of the answers. It would be like jaywalking.
0: Right. Well, and I especially think it would be fun because there had to have been an element of like, you got that information from Marcus. Oh, Marcus was lying. I'm going to go and, make a big deal out of this. Do you know what I mean? Like there had to have been that going on.
1: Stand up and give a speech in the form about how Marcus doesn't really know the law. Marcus is a bad influence on you.
0: Vote against Marcus. And he's been going around misinforming plebs, that bastard. Yes,
1: very much so.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so we don't have any aspect um, that's really akin to that in our modern political or societal structure at all. So it's it's interesting looking... The we get is Twitter, actually. <laughs> or, like, public defenders, kind of. Like, eh? Some, some journalists, maybe, like, you know, are there to explain the law and help us understand it. But no, by and large, it's we've got Twitter as our only way of directly interacting with our ruling class.
1: Although, having read some of the rules from the Twelve Tablets... I would feel bad for anyone trying to explain those.
0: <laughs> well, oh, yeah. Some of them are really ridiculous.
1: <laughs> like, can com- compete... Uh, not competing, God. Committing patricide. Not only do you get thrown from the tarpian rock, you get stuck in a goatskin bag with a monkey and a weasel <laughs> and a chicken and, 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 and then they throw you into the ocean. So, they
0: wait, they, su- they put you in a bag first and throw you off the tarpian rock? Or they throw they you off you the... In a bag. Okay, and with with in, with a menagerie. A hungry dog. Okay. Yeah, it's a menagerie of hungry animals. Okay, and then they throw and you they off throw the rock. You all off the cliff. Into the ocean. Into the ocean. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, I, I was just... Overkill, but I guess it makes a point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess. I, I I was just wondering about the order of operations there. It's bizarre. <laughs> it is in the... Uh... It is in the laws. Yeah. Yes, it is a law. Yeah. So, okay, back to garb. <laughs> how, how? No, no, not your fault. My fault. Um. So, how how do you wear? Can you give some tips on how to wear Roman garb? Okay. So I love being able to
1: change how I wear my Roman. It's basically based on whatever's comfortable on you. You don't have to drape it the same way I do. You don't have to belt it the same way I do. It's whatever's comfortable. The two places that I would suggest belting to avoid the frumpy is stay either at your natural waist or just under your bust. Okay. And watch how you zhuzh the fabric to kind of make it lay right. Because I have looked like I had like a mutant bust at one point. <laughs> about 200 pounds more than I actually weigh at another point. So stand in front of a mirror, play with it, take your time and have fun with it. Whatever you think you look best in, you look best in. Um, I love doing my fibulae, but if you don't want to do fibulae on the sleeves. At each of those points, you can use buttons. I use the, ha- the buttons with the hank. I almost call them a hasp. But a hank on the back that you can just to sew together and it doesn't show that it's a button. Mine has beads right. actually. Ooh, lovely. Excellent choice. Um, for my elevation, I used pearls. Oh, nice. Um, I also have one that I'm working on that I will be using natural shells.
0: Just that, because. That sounds so pretty. I, I won't lie, I get a little inspired by Rome, watching Rome. I love the clothes on that. They're okay. not is rome
1: the one with lucy lawless
0: no that's spartacus Spartacus. yes okay lucy lawless was born to be a roman i i cannot disagree with this in any way shape or form she looks fantastic great um especially the freed
1: person and the lower class citizen clothing okay in rome fabulous um i go to shows like that I try to ignore the historical accuracy or lack thereof. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, the clothing is wonderful. Like in Gladiator, I liked it up to the point of the sheer, definitely non-natural fiber wrap thingy that pours <laughs> Apollo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get snarky. I apologize. No, it's okay. It's okay for me to judge TV shows like that, but I never judge another skating like that because... You have no idea what they went through to make that or get it's, that together.
0: It's true. They might've been up to the last minute doing something and it doesn't matter um, what your judgment is. It, it's probably their latest thing. You know what I mean? So you never know what someone's worked really hard on. You should not, should not hang on to other people's garb. Um, um, last
1: Pensick I had a young lady who she had been to the hospital in Butler for heat stroke the day before. She bought fabric from a vendor at Penzik and stapled it together. Yep. And it held together. I told her if anyone looked at it sideways, I gave her my card and told her, have them come talk to me. And I'll explain that it's none of their darn business. She made an effort.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I have stapled together clothing. Like, not to make it, usually, but I have in an emergency. I've stapled hems. Uh, I'm from the theater world, so I've stapled everything. <laughs> Um, when I was tailoring shirts last year, I stapled it instead of pinned it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my mom works really well. It does. Honestly, my mom makes clothing. Like she, she's a thrifty, wonderful, frugal lady who makes dresses and is really good at it. And she's amazing. Um, and she raised me right. And she taught me good practices, but I went to theater school also, and they taught me efficiency. (laughs) Yes. Efficiency and expediency. Um, and I, I just remember the first time I was I was home from the summer from college and I wanted to wear a shirt and it had gotten, it was like a really gauzy hippie shirt and it had gotten ripped in the armpit at some point And then in the wash, it split even farther and I couldn't wear it anymore until I fixed it. And so I just looked at it and I was trying to leave the house like, you know, right now. So I just walked out of the bedroom, get the stapler from the desk and just staple the armpit of my shirt. Walk back into the bedroom. My father is like, what have I just witnessed? This is an abomination. (laughs) Because my father has lived with my mom and and her sewing and real sewing. And he knows that she taught me better than this. My mom says, well, that seems like it would work.
1: And the good thing is, if they're not looking too close. No.
0: It works. The worst thing about that. If they get so close that they see it. Right. They need to buy you dinner. <laughs> I think that's valid. Well, and, and the worst thing about that was that since it was in my armpit, occasionally I'd move my arm and one of the staples would like hit against my body and uh, it was cold, but that's the only complaint oh. I had. It's the yeah. only complaint I had, um, but it it worked perfectly for the night. I came home, took the staples out, sewed it for real and continued to wear it for another several years. So, you know, it's, exactly you don't staple forever, but you can staple for the night. That's fine. So, accessories, hair, makeup. Any suggestions for those things?
1: Ooh, okay. Um, I can send you some diagrams for some of the basic hairstyles that really work for Rome. Um, Any time period in Rome, just a low-placed bun. Okay. Right at the back of your head. So, like, at the nape of your neck? Or, like... Just a touch higher than the nape of your neck. Okay. Because that was... Based on portraiture and how people talk about it, the nape of your neck was something really sexy, apparently.
0: Oh, so that's like your like
1: sexy you know, sed- peekaboo androgynous thing.
0: Oh, so okay. Is it like is it sed- is it seductive or is it like a slight it's like a little peekaboo, sexy? I guess it's like the
1: girls that wear a little jewel band across their lower back and it's like
0: hey look I'm cracking a smile and it's shiny okay gotcha gotcha okay
1: oh thank god you understood
0: that (laughs) I did (laughs) I totally did
1: (laughs) okay jewelry Romans loved their jewelry if you don't have a lot of money to spend but you're willing to wait a few weeks to get it go online look up Indian Bollywood jewelry it's costume jewelry, and it is so eerily, perfectly Roman. Okay. Um, also, bangle bracelets, um, pearls. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, Yeah. You can pretty much go to any clothing store or, like, a Claire's even. I usually don't drop names of stores, but... Um, I was running late to an event. I had completely forgotten all of my jewelry, which is totally unlike me because I make all my jewelry. And I ran into a Claire's, found a necklace, and went close enough. Yep. And it worked. Sometimes definitely ye- also talk to your artisans because you can find pieces that work beautifully for Roman rather inexpensive in the SCA. Okay.
0: Yeah. And I'm always a fan of supporting our our society artisans and our sort of um, society wide sub economy, uh, because that's when you're when you're paying an artisan in the SCA, you're not just getting a thing, you're getting a thing and you're contributing to them being around in society to give other like to sell other people things and to continue to up their game as an artisan. So I'm a huge fan of supporting that if, if you uh, if you have the ability. And if people
1: want, they can contact me via Facebook, and I'll send them the list of my preferred vendors that always make the best stuff, and I'm never disappointed.
0: Would you be willing to give that to us to post on the uh, show notes? Yes. Awesome. Okay. Cool. <laughs> but um,
1: makeup preferred. Um, they're women to have pale, pale skin. Not like I've never seen the sun in 50 years, just lighter than most people. Because if you're out in the sun a lot, it means you had to work.
0: Yeah. And they used arsenic usually for that whitening effect. Oh, yes. Arsenic, um,
1: a bunch of things. If you can find a sunscreen that uses zinc oxide. Yep. It works great. Um, As someone who's allergic to sunlight,
0: I use it a lot. Oh, you too? I'm also allergic to the sun. Um, It hates me. Yeah. So the, um, the, and specifically with the zinc oxide, you're meaning one of the ones that leaves a little bit of whiteness on your skin.
1: Yes. Yes. It gives you that lovely, almost pearlescent look to your skin. Yes. Um, Romans love their bright colors. Again, thank you, Alexander, the great, um, red lipstick, carmine red. Oh yes. Came through Egypt up into Rome and it's one of my favorite colors to wear. Um, eyeliner, they would actually use coal. So a nice dark gray or black
0: would work. Um, and sparkles are fine. I want to say just to interject sparkles are fine in all these things because they were using a lot of heavy metal pigments a lot of times and heavy metal pigments. Um, they look gorgeous. They're very beautiful because they, they do usually have a shimmer or a sparkle to them. Um, especially the eyeliner.
1: And, one thing I love is they actually would crush um, minerals to make their eyeshadow in a lot of, ca- of cases. So you would have like the light purple from lapis or a light green from malachite. And they would also use natural berries for tints on their skin, or I mean, the variety is there.
0: Yeah. And I think every
1: skin <coughs> tone works beautifully for Roman.
0: Yeah. Well, and they, um, I was really interested in reading about the painted statues because they had like go-to pigments for painted statues of people who clearly have a white skin tone or pale skin tone, Caucasian skin tone. But they also are, they also have statues that are clearly not white people and they have different pigments that they're using for them. So the Romans were sort of, they, Their beauty ideal, I think, was more about, um, like, a glowing, healthy look, whatever your skin tone was, than specifically about being white. And when we say pale and glowing, people think white, and we don't mean white. We mean pale and glowing for whatever your skin type is, your skin tone, skin type. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I have olive skin, so I tend to wear the light beige. Okay. I can't even remember. I almost never buy foundation. <laughs> but I use just um, a sunscreen that has that hint of lightning from the zinc. Yep. And it just makes my skin glow. It's a pearlescent. It's really nice. But most of the time I hide from the sun.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Well, and, and you've seen the makeups that I make and they all use zinc. So um, it's, it's the same uh it's a, it's a an easier way to get the effect than using the full period um makeup regimen. So did men wear makeup?
1: Oh yes. Um yes! It was a gender normative thing. It was a I have the money, I'm gonna look pretty too. Yes. And men almost more because they were out in the public more. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, they would spend more money on their own makeup. And now it became more pronounced around the time of Nero and Claudius, where the face whitening became more of a male thing. Oh, really? Yes. I'm almost (sighs) over the top, almost drag queen looking.
0: Oh, man.
1: I think it's fascinating. But again, that was at the very high echelons, like. The super, super senatorial um, imperial family level.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Conspicuous consumption. Along with the oiled ringlets that were more cushion <sighs> up until that point.
0: Yeah. Dude, you cannot be historical without perfumed oil. Like, Yes. I don't know how to do it. And people don't think about that or we're terrified of putting oil on ourselves and we're very scent- um, averse sometimes, but like all of history is just drenched in perfumed oil. <laughs> I love my
1: lavender and my uh, rose-scented oils, but also I kind of am in love with my oil that I scented with uh, orange blossom. Ooh! Even though oranges were not period
0: for Rome, not for Rome was not. Cause it was still in Asia and I don't even know if the oranges were fully oranges yet because originally both oranges and lemons and I think maybe limes came from uh, another fruit. So, and I'm not sure how the domestication and development of those things went because guess what? It's Eastern history, not Western history. Yay. And we're bad at that. (laughs) (laughs) We're working on it.
1: I love that one thing leads to another leads to another and you have to learn so much. And I
0: love it. Yes. Well, and like the the rabbit holes you can go down and the things you can end up learning, um, are just fascinating. So, okay. I just am thrilled to know that Roman men wore makeup. I had a sneaking suspicion based on my research and, and cultural influences and things like that. But, um, so I'm my, my Roman persona is specifically, um, second century, like Marcus Aurelius Hadrian, were they still really big into the uh, white face for dudes at that point? Or is that too late. Um, it was more of a healthy glow. Okay. At that
1: point, um, but that's when the curls and the lo- little bit longer hair and the beards are starting to come in.
0: Oh yes, the beards. That's that's part of why I picked it because Galen. But also, as soon as I realized when it was, I was like, oh, I picked the one time in Rome where everyone is beardy. Yes.
1: But they still didn't wear pants. Pants. No barbarians.
0: Yes. I say that all the time, like even in my mundane life to people who don't understand.
1: I have a friend who came up all excited. He had dressed late period Roman and he was so excited
0: to show it to me. And I'm like, you're wearing pants. you got to take off those pants. (laughs) Terrible afterwards. The only kind of pants that are acceptable are those little um, Roman legion pants. Yes, brockii. That's it. Those. Those are, I don't, they're hot. It's weird. I don't know. I maybe have watched too many things with Romans. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so jewelry, elaborate hairstyles, conspicuous display of makeup and perfume. Um any other little touches? Um just have fun with it. Um
1: I've had people ask what one of my pet peeves was in the past and like an idiot I spoke before thinking and I said flip flops with Roman and I've actually come to a better perspective now and it's one of those if you're having fun and you're making an attempt yeah it's about making that attempt so before you give grief about something not being a hundred percent accurate
0: ask if they're having fun yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think one thing that's important for a Roman, a Roman look is that you remember that as a Roman, the world is yours. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's yours. <laughs> I'm just like unquestionably. So you're fabulous and the world is yours. So I, maybe the final thing is a little bit of Roman attitude. And yes, if someone I'm gives definitely. you, if someone gives you grief that it's not quite perfect, be like, I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs>
1: Or just do
0: the arched eyebrow, like, and you're speaking to me? (laughs) Yes. What makes you think that you have the right to tell a freeborn Roman what to do ever?
1: It's one of those situations where I'm glad I have RBF. Yeah. Because I can get away with just looking at people like, I have no clue what you're saying.
0: Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah, I have concentrating bitch face, so it doesn't it doesn't work out quite as well, but
1: And remember if there's ever an opportunity to recline and lounge, you're
0: a Roman do it. Oh yeah, definitely. You should always lounge. If possible, lounge. You've seen my bench that I proudly bring with me to events. (laughs) Yes. I'm actually looking at making it to a war this summer that will be very hot and, and so I told one of my traveling my potential traveling companions that I plan to literally just lay on a bench fanning myself and drinking sacondrabin as much as possible for survival. And,
1: re- and recruit some
0: uh lovely little cabana boys. I think that might be I think that might be part of it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This has been absolutely wonderful and I love getting your perspective on garb and and how to just delve into this with a love for it and not necessarily um get too hung up on the on the, the minutia of accuracy. And I think that's a really good perspective because you can jump in and love it and then you can build on that. You know, maybe your outer tunic will be a little bit more period than your under tunic or maybe it won't and you'll still be having the same amount of fun. So I think that that's really putting the emphasis where it belongs um, and not and somewhere else. There will else. be diagrams
1: and I'll be available for questions. Yes. Anything I can do to help... Anyone
0: build their game and have fun. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for extending that to all of our, our listeners. That's really amazing of you, um Straub Markella. It's been absolutely lovely having you here today. It's always lovely spending time with you, Leppida. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you, lovelies, for joining us today for Horse to Culture. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed sharing our salon with you. Make sure you always have a seat in our salon. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite service and give us a five-star rating. It only takes a moment and it helps other people find us. Uh, We would be ever so grateful if you get those algorithms running in our direction. Call us with your society gossip or questions for your favorite courtesans anytime, any kind of question at 440 whores. We will be waiting to hear from you. Look for our website at org. That's K-N-O-W-N-E-W-O-R-L-D-C-O-U-R-T-E-S-A-N-S dot O-R-G. That's known with an E on the end as in ye olde English. You can follow the Known World Courtesans on Twitter at SCA SCACourtesans. We are on Instagram, Tumblr, Pinterest, and Facebook as Known World Courtesans. That's with the E. Join us on our Facebook group where we plan every podcast. We absolutely love to chat and we would love to have you. Find us at facebook.com slash group slash W2C podcast. Facebook won't let us use whore in the URL, so we're W the number 2C and shakes our fists at Facebook for that. We have Twitter just for the podcast. You can find us at whores to culture. And our Facebook page, if you just like face, uh, podcast updates, is facebook.com slash W2C podcast. You can also support us by becoming our patron on Patreon. Starting at just a dollar a month, you can get rewards like voting on future salon themes, early access to episodes, videos of known world courtesan members and our historical clothing. And at the very tippy top levels, you can have an entire episode dedicated just to you with topics of your choosing. Every one of our salons is a labor of love. But with your help, we can, better, we can get better recording equipment and basic recording equipment to more of our members so we can bring you more voices and more stories. Please support Marginalized Voices in Podcasting today. Become a patron at www.patreon.com slash horse to culture. To support modern sex workers worldwide, please visit the Red Umbrella Fund at redumbrellafund.org.